Guys in the back, the, you guys can go find your seats. Bolivia people. Not anybody else. I'm not being rude. Um, there's just, uh, they're handing out things for the mission trip, and um, that way they don't have to stand there the whole service. Um, first of all, this morning, uh, I'd like to thank you for contributing to Melissa Morrison. She received $496 last Sunday, so praise the Lord for that. Um, also, it's Tim Wilbert's birthday today, so let's, let's give Tim a happy birthday there. All right. Tonight at 6 o'clock, there is a movie night. I can only imagine in the fellowship hall. The church is going to supply popcorn, but we ask that you bring a comfortable chair. Um, with that being said, there's no youth group and no prayer meeting tonight. So if you were planning to attend one of those, we definitely encourage you to come and to watch this movie. It is a, a great movie, definitely worth your time. Um, a baptismal service is planned for Sunday, August 12th at 7 p.m. at the Ozenbach Pool. Now, if you're interested, please see Pastor Bob. And the annual Word of Life Chapel picnic is scheduled for August 26th. Um, there is a lot of fun things that happen, so please mark that on your calendars. Nursery standby helpers. The days that you are scheduled as a standby helper, please check the nursery to see if they need your help. Some days back there, it is crazy. There are so many little people, right? <laughs> and... and and they are little people, and the more helpers, the better. So if you're scheduled as a nursery standby helper, please make sure you check to see if they need you, because um, there's a good chance they will. They will. So, And that's a good thing, right? Praise the Lord. That's a good thing. Um, Jake Sprangle has an announcement he'd like to make. Our service projects continue, and for August, we're partnering with Uplift Church of God, which is Isaiah 61, that church, and we're, they throw a back-to-school carnival down at the park, uh, down by the elementary school. So we're partnering with them to help throw that. So what we're calling on the church to help with is the supplies. We're going to do some back-to-school bags, um, so we need school supplies, pencils, crayons, notebooks, uh, different things like that, fun things, you know, fun pencils, or, you know, kids love that. So anything you can think of to fill those bags, we're going to order 150 bags. So the more stuff we can get, the better. Um, also, they're raffling off gift baskets. So like every 20 minutes during the carnival, they're just going to raffle them off for free. So if you have an idea and want to make a gift basket to be raffled off, we will take that. We will gladly accept that and put it into the raffle. Um, so filling back the school bags, gift baskets. Um, if anyone wants to help out, we're going to set up a canopy for the church to give out the bags and church information or to pray with people. So if you want to have a shift at that canopy and help out with that, um, please come talk to me as well, and we can get you on that schedule and set you up for that. Um, and on an overview of the carnival and how it's going to work is they have carnival games where kids can get little prizes. They have cotton candy, snow cones, free food. Um, so they're going to need a lot of volunteers. So if you're just willing that Saturday, it's August 25th. So if you're willing to help that day, we'll take you as a volunteer as well, um, and we can get you on something. If you have an idea for a carnival game and you want to set that up down there, you can also do that. Um, Uplift Church said so we can partner in any way we please. So the more we can do, the better for these kids and for the community. I think it's a great way for you know, people who live in town just to walk out and have a good Saturday and enjoy you know, that last Saturday of the summer before school starts. So please see me if any questions or any additional ideas or want to donate any supplies. That's greatly appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. Yeah, a real exciting opportunity. This is a free event that, man, is going to have a great turnout. We're not going to have a back-to-school 
uh, school movie as we've had in the past is we're going to be giving out the bags uh, at the carnival. So um, we'll be inviting our Awana families to participate in that as well. Um, and I, I'm sure it's going to be just a, a great time. Uh, the last announcement this morning, you were handed something like this when you came in. If you could get it out real quick, and if you weren't handed out, we have some people that can hand them out to you. So um, if you like one, you can raise your hand and they'll get it to you. Um, can we get one up here for Caden? Does anybody have an extra one in the back for Rose? A couple extras there. All right. So, I think, all right. So the, the Bolivia mission trip leaves on Tuesday, and what we wanted to do real quick is to give you an overview of what's going to be happening. That way, you're able to stand with us on your knees in prayer, right? And that you're able to pray with us as we go throughout this whole journey. Now, we don't have the exact days that we're doing things because the reality of it is that once you get on a mission trip, things change, right? You can be plan you can totally have a plan to do this one thing and you get there and God's like, nope, I had something else completely in mind. And, and so this is what we have planned and we are prepared for. All of these different things that you see and the things that will be done, uh, mountain ministry, jungle. We're going to head out to the jungle and do a, a children's ministry out there. Here's the cool thing about doing that. You know, here when we do VBS, parents, uh, for the most part, uh, drop off their kids and, and go for two hours, right? That's not the case in a lot of other countries. Um, you know, in Bolivia, I, I can only, actually, I'll speak for Bolivia. In Bolivia, when we go out to the jungle and we do something for the kids, the parents are all there, and they want to see what in the world is going on. Right? And then the older brothers and sisters are there, and the young adults are there, and everybody's watching, and everybody's listening, and everybody's so intent to hear what's happening. So as we put Vacation Bible School, it's not just the kids, even though the kids need to be ministered to as well. This is a, it's a big deal. Um, everybody's there. Everybody wants to see why in the world are all these gringos here, you know, speaking to us. And, uh, and now the communities we're going to go to, they're, they're more familiar with the gospel as there are local churches established there. So we're going to be partnering with them. Um, that way they're able to uh, continue the work when we go there. We're, we're going there to support them in their ministry. Um, we'll be going up to the mountains doing some of the same thing. Some same thing where sports, we're actually taking down some soccer balls, uh, black and white soccer balls. And we're actually going to Teach salvation through the soccer ball, if that makes sense. Did you ever see the wordless bracelet, right? All the different colors. We do the same thing with the soccer ball. You have the white and black, right? White, uh, purity, the black sin, and then you fill in the different colors. The red and the uh, gold, and I'm trying to remember the other ones, but um, it's going to be a great time. We're going to be going to a, a local orphanage. Uh, we're going to be working at a local church. Yvonne and Cindy are missionaries that we support here at Word of Life Chapel. Cindy's home church in Cochabamba is called Alpha and Omega. Alpha and Omega. Pastor Limber is his name, or Limber, actually, with an I. Limber is his name. And uh, we're going to be going in there and helping them with their Sunday school rooms. Um, our plan is to go and pour concrete. They're able to actually have concrete instead of dirt and stones. Um, a, lot, a lot of exciting things. And uh, we, are, we are very excited. We want to thank you for all of your support. Um, whether you've given financially or whether you're going to pray for us when we're in Bolivia, we are so, so grateful for that. You can see a list of team members here um, all the way down. And, and what I encourage you to do is to take this and put it on your fridge. If you're someone that uses your phone, take a picture of it on your phone and set an alarm on your phone every day, the same time, 1115 
When it goes off, you can look at this picture and pray for something in particular. And that's, that's my challenge to you, I guess, today. That you would, you would stand with us in prayer. You might not be getting on the plane, right, with a baby and flying across the ocean. But you can stand with us in prayer. We need it. We believe that prayer is a powerful thing. See, the reality of it is, it's not only 12 of us going on this trip. We're going as a church. And we pray that you will stand with us in that way. Would you pray with me as we open our service this morning? Lord, we are so thankful for your faithfulness, for your love. God, you are a great God. And Lord, we ask that today. Lord, as we continue in our service. Lord, that you may be honored and glorified because, Lord, you're the only one that deserves it. Lord, we ask this morning that you would remove any distractions that we have, any walls that we have up, that, Lord, we may truly see you and nothing else. In Jesus' name we pray. Stand with us. We worship the Lord together this morning. Jesus wonderful Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful All the world can come to him to have their sins removed Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful isn't the name of Jesus beautiful? Isn't the name of Jesus beautiful? Son of God and one of us, lover of our souls. Isn't the name of Jesus beautiful? Eternal King. Eternal King, you reign forever, and we will sing the glory of your name. Be lifted high for all the world to see. Your name is all they need. Your name is all. Isn't the name of Jesus powerful? Chains are broken when it's spoken. Every knee must bow. Isn't the name of Jesus powerful? Eternal King, you will reign forever. 
My heart will 
It's an amazing thing to have a friend in Jesus, isn't it? An amazing thing. There's a, a word or a, ver, a line, a line in this next song. It's, I see grace on every horizon. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Just think about that line. I see grace on every horizon. That's our God. Everybody has trials and temptations. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody knows heartbreak, isolation. Whoa. 
has fears. Everybody got worries. Oh, 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 oh. Everybody knows sorrows, devastation. Oh, 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 oh. We can lay our burdens down. Lay our burdens down. What a friend we have in Jesus. Runneth over, no more betrayal. For He is faithful. Now He has proven it over and over. No more betrayal. For He is faithful. He fills me up and my.
<laughs> hey, Tommy. <laughs> You're back. Huh? Buddy, who's this guy down? That's a that's Sean. That's our actually oldest grandson. He's too busy to be So let me ask you a question. How many of you read your bulletins? How many of you saw something missing? What? Sermon. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I am going to preach this morning. I don't know how those things happen. I send to Debbie. She sends it back. I send it to her. I proofread it. She proofreads it. And we miss the sermon? I don't know how that happens, but um, I assure you this morning I have come prepared, so um, we will have a sermon following the kids as they leave. Um, now, a couple of things I have to say this morning before we uh, ask that the Bolivia team come, and we're going to pray for them as we uh, commit them to the Lord and send them off on their trip. Um, we do uh, congratulate Ted and Sue Kiter, uh, who have or who will be celebrating this Friday, right, Ted? On the 3rd, their 50th wedding anniversary. We had, a, we had a surprise party on Friday, and it was a little hard, I guess, to keep it a surprise, but we were able to do that. Uh, they write this. Thank you, Pastor Bob and all others involved in helping to set up and keep the secret of our 50th wedding anniversary celebration hosted by our daughters this past Friday evening. We appreciate all your kind words and encouragement. It was a very special time for us, and we are very thankful that you could be a part of it. Thank you also very much, Ted and Sue Kiter. So um, good to have them here this morning celebrating that anniversary. Uh, also, uh, yesterday there was a wedding. Uh, Nathan Wilbert and Morgan Maurer, and um, the Wilberts are here with us. They fill this pew over here. Uh, when are you guys headed back to Alaska? On Wednesday. Wednesday. Brian, of course, he had, uh, he officiated the wedding. It was there on the farm up on the hill, just a wonderful setting. And, and so we congratulate Nathan and Morgan. I have a note also from Melissa um, Morrison. As uh, Pastor Tony mentioned, uh, we were able to give her a very nice gift uh, last week, but she says this. To all of us here at Word of Life, you were very generous to allow me to come and share the ministry during the morning service. It is encouraging to know that so many are supporting me in prayer and financially. I love to see how God uses the body of Christ to reach the unsaved for his glory. I look forward to sharing more of the work of God in Minneapolis among Muslims in this coming year. God is faithful to sustain and use his word to change lives. Thank you for your part 
Melissa. Uh, so do pray for her as she will uh, be going back to uh, Minneapolis to share the good news with Muslim women and children. Keep John Strawhecker in your prayers. Uh, John underwent knee surgery. They removed again the entire knee and they have put now a spacer in there now along with his hip waiting for the infection to re be removed so that they can put in permanent parts. Uh, so please keep John in your prayers. And also I learned just recently I have in the prayer on your prayer list that Jean and Joyce Hoffman will be celebrating their 70th anniversary. Um, it should be 71. Jean wants you to know that. <laughs> that it's not 70 years they're celebrating, but 71. And so um, please make a note of that. We'll try and uh, correct it for next week. But um, Jean uh, felt that that was necessary, which it is. You know, every year counts, right? Every year counts. So that's, that's just great. In the book of Acts, we have the Apostle Paul, and he's leaving his, the church in Ephesus. Uh, he spent three years with the church in Ephesus, building friendships and loving the people as they loved him as well. But he has to leave. He was a missionary, and he moved from place to place to place. And Paul, as he leaves that church in Acts chapter 20, this is what he says to the people. Now listen. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's money, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then Paul, after he committed this church to the Lord, when he had finished speaking, verse 36, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. I believe it's fitting for us as a church as this group will be uh, leaving. Uh, as I was reminded very early on Tuesday morning, in which I am hoping to be able to be there, having been shamed by Pastor Tony. <laughs> Last week, although he apologized later and said, oh, you don't have to be there. But for you all to know that he said that, I guess I'll set my alarm for three. An ungodly hour. But I think it is good for us as a church to commit, as Paul did to this church, commit this group of 12, 12, Nehemiah is a full one. He's not like 11 and a half. Um, but to commit them to the Lord, uh, we know God is going to give them an experience that they can't imagine at this point. I was thinking of the movie tonight. You know, I can only imagine, you know, what this trip is going to be like, especially with this little guy. 
<laughs> we can all... So I'm going to ask that all of you come, come up here to the front. Uh, we haven't rehearsed this, so um, as you come, just kind of stand and face uh, the congregation. They want to see your faces. Uh, some have done this before. Uh, for some, this is brand new. Uh, we have a family here. We have a half a family right here, right? <laughs> Heidi and Chloe, and Wayne and Abby are staying back, and of course, Mary. And then we have the Bowman family right here in the middle. We have brothers, and then we have another family on the end. So um, this is the team. These are the ones who will be going. And as Paul, at the end of his commitment uh, of the church to the Lord, he, the Bible says he knelt down and he prayed. And so, Father, we come before you this morning. We come before you as a congregation who is committing these 12 to you. Father, we are asking that you, Father, might do a work among them, through them, that we can only imagine as we stand before you this morning. Father, we know that they're flying a great distance. We pray that all goes extremely well, that there are no glitches, there are no problems, that they arrive safely and on time. Father, we pray for the people that are there that you might prepare their hearts to receive this group, that they might hear the good word of God, the good news that Jesus saves. And then even now, Lord, you as the great God is taking their, taking their hearts and preparing them to receive what they are going to receive. Lord, Paul said in this speech, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And these 12 will be giving a lot. But Father, they will be receiving a lot. It's not just that they will be giving to the people there, but the people, Lord, will give back. It goes both ways. I pray that they might establish friendships and relationships. Be very sensitive to the needs of the people. Give this group the very words of God himself. That when they speak, that, Lord, they might hear your voice. Again, we thank you for their willingness to go. We thank you for the finances, Lord, that have been raised. And, Father, we're just trusting you in every way to do a work that will bring glory and bring honor to your very Son. Father, we know that you go with them. Lord, you're not just here in this. You go with this group. You will go ahead of them. Help them to walk be behind you, step by step, in every way. Father, there might be anxiety. There might be a bit of anxiety among some of the family members here in this church that might be left behind. But Father, we desire your peace and your comfort and your strength. And so, Lord, as a congregation, we send them off. We send them off with your blessing. We send them off with your strength and your power and use them, Lord, in a mighty, mighty way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 
Well, God bless you all. Mary and Heidi, God bless you. Chloe, have a great time. Good to see you guys. Go as a family. Your grandparents are standing behind you back here. <laughs> Max is back there. Good to see you. And your parents, of course, will stand behind you as well. Today, Stephen, you've been there once before, right? Yep. yep now you're taking little brother. <laughs> Good to see you, Nathan. Glad you don't have your cast on your foot. Yeah. You teach them a little soccer when you get over there, right? Well, Tony, we're going to miss you for the week. And Nehemiah, you be good, little boy. <laughs> you be good on that plane, and you look out the window and just enjoy it. Sarah, good to see you. <laughs> Is that for him or for you? <laughs> All right, you may be seated. Leonard, come and lead us in a hymn, if you would, please. This hymn, by the way, is actually based on, if you look at the verse at the top of the hymn, it's based on Paul in Acts 20, where he said, I commit you to the Lord. Think of that as we sing. Recognize the work and effort that was done by our associate pastor, Tony. I've been on some of these mission trips myself, and I realize some of the work that goes and the thought that goes behind it. So thank you, Tony, for all your effort in organizing this trip. Thank you. We appreciate it. Hymn number 42. God be with you till we meet again. <clears throat> God be with you till we meet again. By his counsel, guide uphold you. With his sheep, securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. He You know, it's one thing to experience a sudden tragedy, 
like the loss of a child or maybe the discovery of a dreaded disease, but it's quite another thing to experience the relentless misery of that loss that drags on for months and months and even years and years. Job in two days, Job lost everything he had. Job lost his wealth. He lost ten children. He lost his home. He lost his health. But Job said, God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. But time went on. Months went by. And God did not heal. And God did not restore. And we have recorded for us in the Scriptures the months that follow. And Job, as we said in chapter 3, he asked the question, why? Remember God's description of Job. Job was blameless. Job was upright. Job was one who feared God and he shunned evil. The Bible says Job was the greatest man on earth at that time. And yet God brought all of this upon him and allowed it to drag on what must have seemed forever. So what happened in those months that follow? Let's look at Job as he wrestles with suffering. As Job wrestled with suffering. If you have your Bibles, I would ask you to turn to Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. And in verse 11, we are introduced to three of his friends. Next week, we're going to look at the fourth, but right now, this morning, we want to look at three. Notice what it says in verse 11. It says, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namanite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, They set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Now you're probably thinking, if you don't know the rest of the story, these must be the greatest friends a man could ever want. And as we read this, it appears to be that. They put everything aside. They sacrificed their their schedules. They dedicated days and days of travel 
They chose to put Job ahead of themselves. They come to Job. They they don't recognize him as the friend they knew before. Remember, he had that horrible skin disease. And so they sit down with him. They weep with him. They sympathize with him. And it says that they grieved with him for seven long days. They weren't afraid to show their emotions. But the Bible says no one said a word. What do you say at a time like that? No one said a word. Their presence was such a great comfort without saying anything. My wife and I, we were invited to Tina Swigert's birthday party a few weeks ago, and in the invitation it said, your presence is your present. Your presence is your present. The gift they brought to Job was their presence. They didn't have to say anything. They brought comfort to Job by just being there. You know, sometimes we can say more with our silence than we can with our words. But then they started to speak, and everything changed. These friends should have just remained silent. And so we come to point number one this morning, Job's so-called friends. As someone said, with friends like these, we don't need enemies. You say, how can this these guys become enemies? Well, let me explain. You said instead of remaining silent, they started to open their mouths, and everything that came out of their mouths were accusations and rebukes and condemnation. They looked at this man who was suffering, and they felt as though he must be a man of great sin. That if you suffer, you do it because you have sinned. That you are being condemned by God. You are being punished by God. And for the next 29 chapters, that's right, 29 chapters out of 42 in the book of Job, 29 chapters, we have these friends talking to Job, Job then responding. Talking to Job, Job responding. 29 chapters of these three friends accusing Job of being a notorious sinner and an ungodly man now before we go any further i want you to turn all all the way back to the last chapter and see how god describes these three friends before we look at them what does god say about them let's look look at job 42 and verse 7 this is god's assessment of these men It says, after the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Timonite, I am angry with you and your two friends. Why? Because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. 
at the end of the dialogues between these three friends and Job, God comes to the conclusion they have not spoken truth and God is angry at them for what they said to Job. Now remember that as we look at what they say. It's not that everything they said was not true, but most of it was. So look at chapter 4 and verse 7. Let's look at just a few things of what these friends say to Job. Chapter 4 and verse 7 says this. This is Eliphaz now. This is the first friend, all right? And he says to Job, when he starts to open his mouth, Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. In other words, what Eliphaz is saying to Job is this, you got what you deserved. You got what you deserved, Job. You see, he says in these verses I have just read, you reap what you sow. And because you have reaped trouble, you have reaped pain, you have reaped suffering, therefore what you have sown is sin. Because he believes that there's this formula that you are prosperous if you're righteous and you suffer if you're sinful. Now we do know that there is a principle in the Bible, right? The Bible says that we do reap what we sow. James tells us that. But it's not always an immediate reaping. I have a man who I've been using, and I've been reading him to you, and I want to read you something else this morning. Uh, he, he speaks of Eliphaz with this formula, this spiritual equation, right? That sin equals suffering and righteousness equals prosperity. Well, he says each of those premises is they're actually true. You look at the Old Testament or the New Testament and you find these to be true. The wages, wages of sin is death, right? You, you're going to die. Uh, God said that to Adam. In the day that you eat, you will surely die. Also, we can't deny the truth. Righteousness exalts a nation, right? If you're righteous, you should be, uh, you should be prosperous. You should be successful, but then he goes on to say in this book, but what happens when you meet a person like Job? When this formula fails. Remember what God said about Job. He is the greatest man on earth. He's a godly man. He loves God. He worships God. And yet, he suffers. See, that's our problem. We don't have a problem when evil people suffer. We don't have a problem when Godly people prosper. What we have a problem with is, is a godly man who suffers to a degree that you would say, that's just not right. That's just not fair. So how do we answer the question with Job? 
See, Eliphaz, he sees God as this inflexible, hard God giving us what we deserve. He doesn't think of the God of grace and mercy. We know honest and hardworking people who reap the rewards. We know of those who are dishonest and lazy and they reap the results. But then we come to Job and it seems to go against all conventional wisdom. It goes against, it seems, the the principle of reaping and sowing. Much of the theology of these friends, it was it was correct. The, the reaping, sowing principle, that, that's true. But what Eliphaz now does is he, he makes the mistake of, of making false assumptions. He, he assumes that immediately after you sin, as bad as Joe must have sinned, God is going to come and punish you. You know, there's a verse in the Bible in James where James speaks of the reaping, sowing principle. And he puts in the context at due time. You reap at due time. It's not like, you know, you sin this minute and the next minute God is going to punish. At the due time. Listen, we will reap what we sow. That's, that's a principle. But it's not always an immediate thing. And sometimes God, he, he shows his grace and he shows his mercy. My father, he used to grow strawberries when i was just a little guy and up in millersburg he had acres and acres and acres of strawberries and um you know we claimed that they were the best strawberries in town and they might have been i I don't know and he would grow these strawberries and then he would take them into the local grocery stores and sell them to different different places but uh during the summer uh, we as kids and my cousins and my grand we all were there we all were involved in this picking of strawberries and got a nickel for every basket. Think of that. A whole nickel dad would give me to pick a whole basket of strawberries. But this is what he did. He would order these strawberries and get hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of plants, these little tiny things. Then he would plant them in acres and acres of, of land. And that first year, that first year, he would never allow them to produce they would send out little runners, you know, strawberries do, and we'd go through the patch and cut them all off. They produced little blossoms, and we'd go through the, we'd cut them all off. Dad's thinking was all the strength ought to go in the roots and the plant. And so we didn't let them bear that first year. Then the second year, the plants are this big. Now they're a strong plant, and that's when we reap the harvest. We didn't reap the first year. We reaped the second year. You know, I think God is a little bit like that. You know, we sow, but we don't always reap right away. But it's in due season, or it's at the proper time in which we reap. But you can't look at someone and say, okay, you are suffering, therefore you are being punished by an angry God because of your sin. But that's what Eliphaz was doing. And really, the bottom line of all three friends, that's how they felt. That Job, you must be hiding something 
You must be this notorious sinner who's hiding this deep, dark, whatever you're doing, because no man should suffer as you suffer. Then we come to another fellow. His name is Bildad. This is the second one. Bildad is, is even a little bit more harsh. Notice in chapter 8 what Bildad says. Look at chapter 8 and verse 13. Bildad says this, Such is the destiny of all who forget God, so perishes the hope of the godless. Jump down to verse 20. Surely God does not reject one who is blameless or strengthen the hands of the evildoers. So here is Bildad now, and, and Bildad, he agrees with Eliphaz, you reap what you sow, but he goes one step further in calling Job godless and an evil doer. Bildad even says in verse 4, he speaks of the children of Job and says, your children have sinned as well. And the reason that house was blown and collapsed by the wind was because they're notorious sinners. These are not good friends. All they do is condemn. All they do is accuse. Remember Jesus' disciples? When they came across the blind man, and they said to Jesus, well, who sinned? Was it him or his parents? See, they went backwards. They saw the suffering, and they went backwards and said, it had to be a result of sin. That's what these friends are doing. They're going backwards. They're saying, we see the suffering, therefore, there must be sin that is causing this. Now, we know why, right? We know the why of the story because we read chapters 1 and 2. We know that it was Satan who came before God and he said, Job, he only loves you and worships you because you have blessed him. You have given him so much. Take it away and everything's going to change. You take it away and Job won't worship you. We know what's taking place between Satan and God. Satan doesn't. The friends, they don't. And here is Bildad who, who makes faulty assertions, faulty assertions, claiming to know the will of God. You know, if, if Hallmark, uh, you know, the, car, the, the company that makes those cards, they, um, you know, often you get cards in the mail and you read the front cover, uh, and then you open it, and inside there's something humorous, kind of leads you one direction at the front, and then inside it's something completely different. Hallmark certainly would not hire um, these three friends to write any sympathy cards. Uh, someone said if Eliphaz was writing a card, his card would be like this. On the front it would say, sorry you're sick. Then you open it, and inside it says, but you got what you deserve. Or Bildad on the front cover, hoping you get well, but then inside, but you're really, but if you were really godly as you claim, this wouldn't have happened. Now we come to Zophar. You know, each one seems to get a little worse. This is what Zophar's card would say. It's even more brutal than the other two. On the outside it would say, I hope you get worse, 
And on the inside, it would say, you will die, no one's going to remember you, and you're going to be thrown away like dung. <laughs> now you laugh, but listen. Turn to chapter 11. This is what Zophar is saying to his friend, Job. Look at chapter 11. In verse 6, he says, And disclose to you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom has two sides. Know this, he says, God has even forgotten some of your sins. You know what one translation says regarding this verse? That God is punishing you far less than what you deserve. That God is overlooking some of your sins, Job. You have done all of this, and God's only punishing you for this. And so you're not getting what you really deserve. And then if you jump down to verse uh, or chapter 20, and this is going back into another cycle of this dialogue, in chapter 20 and verse 7, this is what Zophar, again, he's speaking. And he says this in verse 7, uh, You will perish forever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, Where is he? Job, someday you're going to be wiped off the map, and no one's going to even know you existed. Each time, and we didn't have time this morning, but, you know, each time these friends said something, Job replied. And each time, Job declared his innocence. Each time, Job said to his friends, that's just not me. That's not who I am. But the friends weren't listening. These friends were so involved in kind of winning this battle, making or trying to get Job to understand their thinking, their theology, that they ended up not having compassion toward their friend. They started off well. They come to Job in the opening, or the end of, of chapter 2. And the Bible says they came to comfort. And they did. I believe during those seven days, Job was greatly comforted by the presence of these three men, who he knew, and they knew him. It's when they started opening their mouths that everything changed. When they started to accuse, started to feel as though they had all the answers. Job, we know why you're suffering. And one of the men, I think it was Bildad, even claimed to know God's will. Job, we know what's going to happen. And Job, if you were just to confess and come before God and plead your case and repent of your sins, God will do this and this and this. And they weren't helpful at all someone said never judge another person's passing or failing marks until you have taken the test you know we're oftentimes quick to judge others when they fall into troubles and we're like the friends oftentimes we think you know there has to be something they're not doing right there's something wrong there's some hidden sin. Boy, we have to be careful 
that we're not like these friends and we make accusations. Like, if you just do this, then, you know, all your troubles will go away. Only God knows the facts. One commentator said, stop playing God. Stop pretending as as though you know why these things happen in people's lives. And we oftentimes, we want to help with our words, but it doesn't always help. When you open your mouth and you really try to help a friend, be careful what you say. Put yourself in their shoes before you try to give advice and counsel. Because sometimes our words aren't received very well. Because we haven't really thought through them very well. Don't ever act as though you have all the answers. Don't come before people and say, you know, if you just, you know, if you just read your Bible a little bit more, <laughs> if you just prayed every day, that might sound good. And nothing wrong with reading your Bible and praying every day. But don't make claims like Bildad did. If you just do these things, then this is what God will do. We don't know that. You know, to be a real helpful friend sometimes means just being quiet. Let me give you a suggestion how you can help a friend who is really really hurting number one be there for them be there for them your presence is your present just show up you don't always have to talk sometimes it's best if you don't cry with them You know, these friends, when they came to Job, they weren't afraid to show their emotions. Crying shouts compassion. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Tears sometimes communicate more than words ever can. Listen more than talk. James says, be slow to speak and be quick to listen. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. We've all heard that a dog is man's best friend. And I think probably one of the reasons is that you can talk to a dog and he won't talk back. Pray with them. Prayer is always appropriate. It's always appropriate to pray with someone who is hurting. Don't preach in your prayer. A simple, may God give you peace and strength. These men, before they opened their mouths, they were good friends. It's as soon as they opened their mouths that the accusations and the condemnation all started. I'm suggesting this morning that sometimes being quiet 
listening, weeping is far more important and more comforting than when we begin to say and give advice and give counsel. Oh, there's a time for that. Don't misunderstand me. But how you can really help someone is by being there for them in their time of need. May God help us all to be good friends, really good friends, to those who are wrestling with struggling. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the example of these friends in a positive way and in a negative way. Father, we know not what we know what not to do, and we know what to do. Father, we know that there are many who are wrestling with struggles, wrestling with suffering, as Job. For months, for years. Help us, Lord, to help and give us wisdom to know what that might look like. Father, we're the church. We need each other. We've been called to bear one another's burdens. So I pray, Lord, that you might help us to be good friends to those who are hurting. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Be not dismayed, whate'er be tied. Hymn number 421. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. Let's stand. We'll sing all four stanzas and we'll be dismissed. Be not dismayed, whatever time God will take of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day. Is your path a sail? God will take care of you. God will take care through every day. He will take care of you. God will take care of you.
Father, we thank you for who you are. Uh, you do watch over your children. Uh, you are, Lord, a God who loves us more than we will ever know. So strengthen us, I pray. Help those, Lord, who are weary. Help those, Lord, who are struggling. Uh, come close to them. Be there for them. And help us, too, as a church, to be there for those who need us most. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.